Hello, just before we begin this week's episode, I'm walking a very special musical Camino in May 2024, and I'm inviting you to join me. Won't you join me? Won't you join me? I'm walking from Leon to Santiago de Compostela. In the first three weeks of May, I'll be performing concerts along the way. Pilgrims walking with me will pay a fee and every cent will go towards making my new album, Storyteller. We are already selling spots, so if you're interested, join now. Just go to danmullinsmusic.com. There's a list of frequently asked questions and a basic itinerary. Won't you join me? Won't you join me? Join me for a magical musical Camino. To reserve your spot, go to danmullinsmusic.com. Won't you join me? Won't you join me? Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and it's great to have your company. It's been a busy start to a brand new year. I'm back working early starts. The alarm goes off just after 4 a.m. It's a challenge, but it's still an hour later than the early start I did for 17 years. 17 years of 3.15 alarms. Now it's 4.15, and the body said to me this week, Ah, we're doing this again, are we, Dan? It was a bit of a wake-up call. But you know what? It gives me time to walk. And we all know what walking does for you. makes you happy. It gives you that Camino feeling. I'm out and about. I'm breathing fresh air. I'm getting stronger. I'm moving forward. My goals are getting closer. So what's not to love about walking? Henry David Thoreau was an American naturalist, essayist, poet and philosopher. And one of his famous quotes is, An early morning walk is a blessing for the whole day. Then there's John Muir. He's often referred to as the patron saint of the American wilderness. He said, In every walk with nature, one receives far more than he seeks. I do most of my walking in the city, but I try to find some nature if I can. There's plenty of nature on the Camino. And nature is a great word, all nature, and our nature. Nature is a great word to think about, our nature, inborn or inherent qualities. And we can change our nature. We can be less grumpy. We can be less stressed. We can be more gentle, more forgiving. And the Camino is a great place to walk with nature and a great place to work on our nature the kind of person others perceive us to be. I remember interviewing my friend Andrew Holloway about his Camino, and he said when he arrived home, his wife and his two lovely daughters said, we like the new Andy. It's true, it can be life-changing. We can be changed, and we can be change-makers if we're prepared to be open to change. My guest this week is a Canadian pilgrim. Cindy McGann wrote to me to say, Dan, I have a saying, it's not really my saying, but I use it a lot. I truly believe that people come into, and in some cases out of, our lives for a reason, a season or a lifetime. Often, we only know which of the three in hindsight. Well, I'm so pleased Cindy has come into my life. She's on the line. Welcome, Pilgrim. Thank you, Dan. It's lovely to be here. We met in Ottawa. Yes, we did. And I'm so happy that you're saying Ottawa because so many people say Ottawa or, you know, they kind of smash it all together. But you say it like a proper Canadian, Ottawa. (laughs) Well, that's because we stayed with Paul Hughes and Paul was very particular about how we said Ottawa. What motivated you to go to that meeting we met in the little church hall in Ottawa? What, What made you go there? What motivated you? So at that time, which was in October of 2022, and I remember it very well because I was very new to the Camino. Um, We can talk a bit about that. But I was with a friend, Tracy, and we were pretty convinced that we were going to do the Camino the fall following. So we were about a year out from when we thought our start would be. 
And we'd been members, new members of the Canadian Company of Pilgrims, and they invited you, uh, and your son was one of your sons was along as well. Um, and we said, okay, let's go listen to this Dan guy. Uh, he must be something because they're planning the event around him. And we expected uh, to hear a little bit about the Camino. We did not expect the concert that we got, which was super. Uh, and I'll I'll um, remember it forever, I think. It was very impactful and very emotional for both Tracy and I. And um, yeah, that was really it. We We were curious. You were in town. And it was a great excuse to get ourselves a bit more immersed in kind of the feeling of the Camino. So tell us about the Camino in August 2022? No. So we met you in October of 2022, but we did our Camino last fall. Oh, okay. Okay. So tell us about that Camino last fall. Right. So between when we saw you and when we started, we we researched ourselves. And I say we, but it was mostly Tracy. Uh, She's the classic spreadsheet pilgrim Mm -hmm. and I'm the classic let it happen pilgrim and it was quite honestly very lovely for me to be with someone like Tracy because she um, I didn't have to do very much honestly she planned our first few days she researched gear Um, yeah and so we had a we had a hard date uh, in terms of our start and we worked that date around Tracy's birthday because her birthday is August the 22nd so we decided it would be a great idea to start our Camino on her birthday And so we worked uh, backwards and forwards from there in terms of logistics. And we we really did it kind of, um, well, I think like in a planful way in that we knew the gear that we needed. We'd actually listened, myself, I'd listened to the first 90 of your podcasts before I uh, set foot on my Camino, which was super interesting, super helpful. Lots of knowledge from people who had gone before. And we knew um, we had a hard return date on October the 3rd. So we knew that we would be um, able to take advantage of a couple of extra down days, which we did. And we weren't sure at the end whether I would continue on and do the Finisterre um, extra little bit, which I ended up doing. Tracy didn't. So we were kind of thoughtful about it in some ways. But that being said, there was a lot of things that happened on the Camino that were unplanned, as you would expect. Um, Yeah, so it was it was. Really, really a year in the making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what happened? There's, there's something happened. There was a major event that changed everything for you. A major event that changed everything for me? Yeah. Oh, that event. Yes. So the Cindy that you, that you spoke with in October, uh, yeah, in October of 2022 was a working lawyer. And that Cindy decided at 57 that there was this thing called time, health, and money. And I believe that people who are the luckiest in life have all three, but sometimes they don't actually know that they have all three, and they sometimes don't even take advantage of the fact that they have all three. So I woke up one day sometime after meeting you and listening to some podcasts and walking and thinking about this whole Camino thing, and I realized, you know what, Cindy, you have time, health, and money. And you should take advantage of that. And you should retire. So I did. (laughs) At the end of July, I retired. And that was conscious on my part to stop work prior to the Camino. So for a couple of good reasons. One, I wouldn't have to worry about it. But two, I also knew from everything that I'd listened and heard uh, other people say about the Camino that it would be transformative or I was hoping it would be transformative and kind of a natural transition point in my life, which it turned out to be very much. Yeah, you wrote something in an email to me and it stayed with me. You said the Camino really is a quote-unquote landscape within. I lo- yes. I love that, a landscape well, within. Talk us through that. Yeah, you, you actually you actually shouldn't give me credit for that. That's, that's a quote that, as I said, when I was walking, sometimes I would take my phone out and I would actually write myself a little note from someone who I was listening to. And that is, that is a direct quote from one of your predecessor podcast people. And I think her name was Nancy Frey. Or Nancy oh yeah, Fry. Nancy. Yeah. 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 So yeah, let's give her credit on that one, but it may, it stuck with me as well. And I didn't fully appreciate it until I was at least halfway through my Camino. And I think something magical happens to people, um, especially people who do the the full Camino. And by that, I mean, they start in Saint-Jean or pretty close to Saint-Jean and they, you know, they walk through to, um, to Santiago. That's a long time to be 
with yourself, whether you're walking with someone or not, you're still, there's a lot of alone time. And I think something transformative happens to most people on the Camino. I'd be hard pressed to think of somebody that it wouldn't happen to because you're, you're in a very privileged place. You only have to do one thing every day and that is get to from A to B and Quite frankly, you don't even have to do that because you can change B and make it something else along the way. So the thing that you want to to, to accomplish that day, it's not even it's not even that. Sometimes it changes. And um, I'll talk a little bit about the the Camille, the Camino family that I met along the way. But one of the the guys in our group, his name his first name is Lee. He's Irish. And at the end of it all, he said something, and I wrote it down um, so I would remember it. And, and he said, "You know, we had the best job in the world for a month." Mm-hmm. And I really believe that. That's great. Um, it's, yeah, it's great, isn't it? We had the best job in the world for a month. Yeah. So, yeah. I love that. So, cast your mind back. Uh, you and Tracy are doing all of your preparations. Tracy doing a little bit more legwork than you are. You met me in Ottawa. You, you, we went to my concert. And all of a sudden, the Camino now is becoming a thing, in inverted commas. You're going to do this. It's, it's on the horizon, and, and you, you, you've retired, and it's a big, big moment in your life. Did it live up to expectations when you cast your mind back and thought what it would be like? Did it live up to your expectations? Yeah, I, w- I would say it exceeded them. I expected it. Um, well, let me t- tell you a little bit about uh kind of my my religious versus spiritual yeah. approach to life. So I would say I'm more of a spiritualist, not a really a religious person per se. That being said, on the Camino, I, uh, Tracy and I both made time to go into churches and she actually developed um, an acronym, ABC. <laughs> she, we, she developed it partway into the Camino because there's so many beautiful churches on the Camino. So she would at a certain point say, oh, another... ABC and that was code for us another beautiful church because there were so (laughs) many beautiful churches that's great but I think that um, a friend of mine who had done the Camino before me said you know make time to go into the churches experience mass even if you're not religious quote-unquote because otherwise he said the Camino is just a long walk and that stuck with me uh, and it's very true I don't think you have to be a religious person uh, necessarily to to do the Camino. And certainly there's a lot of people now walking the Camino who are not of any religious persuasion. But it's helpful if you are at least a little bit spiritual, because I think that spirituality, whatever it means to you, will grow uh, over the course of your Camino. So I think for me, I looked at the Camino as a physical exercise. Um, I knew it would be physical exercise, but I also looked at at it as a bit of a physical accomplishment. And I'm a pretty active physical person, so I wasn't too concerned about that. Tracy was far more concerned. (laughs) She it was well out of her comfort zone. Uh, We voted her the most improved pilgrim um, (laughs) ever, I think, probably. But but I looked at it as more of a spiritual slash um, athletic exercise. The athleticism. I think I, and the requirement to be athletic, you don't have to be athletic. You have to be healthy. I would say that. And it's helpful if you do a bit of walking beforehand, but on the spirituality side, I think I underestimated how I would feel over the course of the Camino, not just about me and what was happening within me and um, how I was growing in some areas, leaving some things behind Uh, improving, I would say, overall as a person, being a little better than I was when I started. All of those things, and you hear them, many people say them, I think they're all true. But also, it was more, for me, it was as much about the people that I met and the connections that I made and the things that I learned from those people and that I will always remember and be thankful to those people for. And those people, uh, it wasn't just the kind of immediate Camille little friend group that we started and finished with there was many many Camino moments I called them interactions where I had little one-on-one time with a person and I still think of that person today yeah and I expect to do so for a long time yeah that's funny isn't it how those those connections resonate and continue to resonate and it's a wonderful thing I saw a post from my friend Lee Roberts and I spoke to Lee on the podcast a Welsh pilgrim uh, now lives on a yacht and lives in the 
in the Greek islands on a yacht. I saw a picture of him the other day and I thought, oh, there he is. I miss him so much. It's funny, isn't it, how these people come into your lives and somehow the Camino makes their journey resonate with yours. So you, you've mentioned now, uh, Cindy, this Camille. Tell us about the Camille. Right. So the Camille, um, the Camille was a group of six, and we named ourselves the Camille, the Camino family, short form, yeah. uh, Camille, because um, we really did feel that by the end. I forget who uh, of the group actually suggested the name, but it, it stuck and it was super appropriate. So it was Tracy and myself. And then there were two women, Kiwi women, Claire and Julia. Uh, Julia, uh, a, a recovery nurse, and Claire, uh, an in-between exec assistant. Uh, and then there were two men, Lee from Ireland, who was a pharmacist, no, a pharma slash engineering guy turned Reiki master. Wow. He's still overseas. Yeah, still overseas doing his thing, wandering around. Uh, Hong Kong, I think currently, and Lars from Denmark, uh, who was a sales exec uh, in between uh, sales job number four hundred and twenty-seven, I'm sure, and in the middle of a divorce too. So he was uh, he was uh, there for a reason, I think. Although that being said, he'd only planned it like two weeks before. I think he literally bought a ticket, jumped on a plane, and started to go. So we all. The interesting thing about the Camille is because we all started in Saint Jean. So we all had a natural start point and we would connect then in those first few days. And then we realized, oh, uh, you know, I like you. I have something in common with you. We walk at roughly the same pace. We have roughly the same objectives in terms of the days on and off. But at a certain point, we had to decide um, and each one came to the same well to, to the same decision. Do we want to continue to walk together? Because it's not like we were walking together uh, every minute of every day, but we made a point at the end of every day. Uh, usually to have dinner together to talk about the day's events. Uh, often Tracy, because she was the sp spreadsheet girl, <laughs> was mm. calling ahead the day before and would actually book rooms for the two guys and, and the two of us. So that was nice, I'm sure, for them. She became the unofficial um, event organizer. But also um, because what happens on the Camino is you can get out of sync with someone in a day. If someone decides to take a down day and you don't, then you quickly uh, lose Lose, lose contact with them because you're just a day off, but a day off means you may never see them again. So at, at a certain point in the journey, and I want to say it was before halfway, we kind of all made a pinky promise pact with each other <laughs> <laughs> informally to, to stay together. And it was so lovely to have that. Um, Tracy and I had that anyways, because we were traveling as, as friends. Claire and Julia, even though they were from the same country, uh, didn't know each other before the Camino, and obviously Lee and Lars didn't either. So we were this little sixsome group that I think everybody quite naturally just started expecting to see together. And in the end, um, we made a point of making sure that we were, when we were five kilometers out from Saria, we all waited for each other so that we could all, I'm sorry, not Saria, Santiago, so that we could all go together into the cathedral together. And it was a very special moment. Yeah, yeah. What about arriving in Santiago? Tell us about that as a Camille. Yeah, I mean, there was different levels of reaction. I would say Lars was the quietest. He just kind of stood there. I have a lovely picture of him in my mind and, and on my phone, <laughs> just look, gazing up at the cathedral. Um, Tracy was mo emotional. Julie and Claire and I, I think, were kind of uh, in an in-between state. Um, and it was it was interesting because we all had different plans at that point. Tracy knew that she was staying in Santiago, so you could literally see her almost on her face, the transition from pilgrim to tourist, whereas Lee and Lars and Julia and Claire and myself, we were all still continuing on to Finisterre, and, and Julia, in some case, she actually went on to Musia. So we all had uh, still some walking ahead of us. The three, the three other girls, myself and the other two, we left the next day. So we didn't have a lot of time in Santiago. And the guys stayed for an extra day and then continued on. So that night, the dinner that night, because we knew that it was our last dinner together, Tracy was staying, the rest of us were doing other things. It was very emotional. Yeah, yeah. I wonder about that walking on to Finisterre. I'm actually doing that in May when I go back to the Camino. I've decided to walk on to Finisterre because it's something I've always wanted to do. What was it like leaving Santiago? 
For me, it felt a little weird because it was the first time in 40 days that I was leaving Tracy also. Yeah, yeah. So I was truly at that point, I was a solo pilgrim, whereas before I had I'd had her with me, at least, I mean, we, did, we rarely walked together during the days because I walk uh, more quickly. I'm taller than she is. But we would always be together. And by together, I mean, I was on the top bunk. She was on the bottom bunk. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. So, so it was weird from that perspective, knowing that I was going to be um, on my own. Uh, my friend was staying. There was a sense of anticipation, though, because I really felt that for me, the end, the true end of my first Camino would be when I saw the ocean mm-hmm. and it and it was. So I was with Claire at that time. Julia had continued on to go to Mushia, so we had split. It was just Claire and myself at, at the very, very end, I'll say. And I have a lovely video of Claire that she took of me. Uh, we'd we'd um, covertly changed into our bathing suits, which is not an easy task in the middle of nowhere on a beach, but we did that because we wanted to take shed our packs shed our sticks, our shoes, and run into the ocean. And that is exactly what we did. And the best part about that video, there's it, it's me from behind running into the ocean, but it's me listening to Claire. And she's not saying anything, but she's laughing. And her laughter is so genuine. <laughs> you know, I, I love the, I've been to Finisterre twice. Uh, I love sitting on the headland there. What did you think staring into that great expanse? At the end, and 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 did you imagine what it must have been like, like I did, for those pilgrims thousands of years ago who really genuinely thought, "I'm at the end of the world." It's quite yeah. a, it's quite an extraordinary place, isn't it? It's a very extraordinary place. It's a beautiful place. I I would say to anyone considering the Camino that if you have the have the time, and if you and if you have the energy, because it's no small feat psychologically to get to Santiago and then to add on three more days. It, it doesn't sound like a lot, but I'm going to tell you the first of those, of those days is what we all agreed was the hardest day in the entire trip. Wow. And maybe it was because, yeah, physically it was extremely demanding, but also just the get up, leave, go. Um, it, it was, it's a lot. It's a very difficult section of, of trekking as well. But but that aside, the feeling that I had was a sense of accomplishment for sure, but also mixed. It was a very bittersweet moment. It was a sense of accomplishment, but finality in a way that I wasn't really expecting because I think when you're walking the Camino you're in the moment, very much so in the moment that day. And then there's a part of you that's thinking ahead, okay, well, tomorrow I'm going to do this. But it's really not much more than that. You really don't have to think, nor should you think much more than kind of a day ahead. And there was no day ahead. Yeah, right. So there's no day ahead, right? Yeah. There's there's no, there's no land. <laughs> so there is, by definition, no day ahead. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. I'm going to keep that in mind when I walk out there in a few months' time. Now, Canadians are very adventurous people. Why is that? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think Canadians generally, and this is a huge generalization, but it's a favorable one. So I hope the other Canadians listening to this uh, podcast will be um be uh, tolerant of my generalization, but I think Canadians in general, we are an outdoorsy bunch. We like, uh, we, we like nature. I know you started the podcast with some, some nature comments and I'm very outdoorsy. I like and appreciate nature. I think Canada lends itself to that because of course we have so many lakes and rivers and, uh, trees and (laughs) you know you don't have to go very far to to have a cottage I know that in some countries a cottage is a true luxury and and in Canada it is as well but it's very common for people who live in a Canadian city to have a cottage within one hour uh, within an hour's driving distance which is virtually unheard of in many other places so there's this sense of getting out and doing things and staying active and I think that's why you you find so many Canadians and to some extent, Americans as well. Americans are pretty commonplace on the Camino too. So we're used to walking. Yeah, used to walking and used to the outdoors. 
So I mentioned in the introduction about nature, and you just touched on it there. Describe your nature. Right. So I I would say that I am a um, I am adventurous. I I like to travel, but I like to travel as a traveler. I tell people, not as a tourist. And I think there's a big difference. And people who come to the Camino are travelers. Uh, they are not tourists. Or if they are, they quickly convert to travelers. <laughs> Yeah. in order to survive <laughs> yeah 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 um yeah so so i am those things um i think i have an appreciative heart i tell people i have two things an appreciative heart and a curious mind which sometimes can get you into trouble at least the latter but but the appreciative heart um i think comes maybe to some extent with age i'm 57 and i think when i entered my 50s i started thinking more about kind of how how fortunate I was, first of all, to make it to 50, because in 50, when you start into your 50s, sometimes, you know, you lose friends, yeah. sometimes family members, there's you a sure sense do. of loss. Yeah. So, yeah, so I start each day and I end each day thinking about the good in my life. And I do that very consciously. And the Camino lent itself to that in, in spades, because, of course, you have so much time and there's so many <laughs> good things that are happening to you every day. Yeah. So I'm appreciative. Um and when I find myself uh, being unhappy about something, I try, I have, I have a good little self-talk routine and I remind myself that I, I'm getting to do the thing versus having to do the thing. So it's a subtle change in, in language, but I think when you start approaching things in life like that and you realize that even the task things or the have to things are really a privilege, it changes your perspective. And for me, a lot of the Camino was about that kind of continued evolution of perspective. Wow. Having to do things. Don't think of it like that. Think it like you're no. getting to do things. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That. Like you get to wash the dishes. Some people don't have dishes, <laughs> don't have water, don't have whatever, right? Like there's just so many little parts of every little thing that, and I try, I, you know, when my kids were little, I would try and impress them up or impress that upon them. And I think it was probably lost on them <laughs> at that age, but I think they get it now. <laughs> Getting so, to yeah. do it. Yeah. Instead of having to do it. Wow. That's really a very, very simple philosophy, but it's really very meaningful, isn't it? Yeah. Really very yeah. meaningful. Tell us about 60 before 60. Ah, okay. So again, when I was 49, I decided, hmm, I'm going to turn 50. And I know you had a big 50 birthday on the Camino. And I listened to that podcast a couple of times, actually, because I thought it was so wonderful what you oh, did great. and what your family did to celebrate your 50th. So when I was 49, I decided, okay, Cindy, you're going to turn 50. You should write a list, 50 things before 50. So I wrote a 50 before 50 list. But I'd only given myself a year to accomplish them, which was very bad planning on my part. Tracy would never have done that. She would have done that way before me. <laughs> so, so needless to say, I didn't accomplish all of them. And the Camino, quite frankly, wasn't wasn't on the list because I, I didn't know about the Camino yet. Um, I, I don't think I told you this, but I only bumped into the Camino when I read um, when I read, read Graham Simpson's and uh, and U.S. book. That's actually my first knowledge of the Camino. Right. So anyway, so I'm writing my 50 before 50 list and I, I say to myself, okay, great. You didn't accomplish it. So now exactly two steps onward. Yes. You're showing me the book. I love it. New book. Yeah. I yeah. have to, I'm, it's on my must read list. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, anyway, so my 60 before 60, I thought, okay, I'm going to be smarter this decade. I'm actually going to make a 60 before 60 list before I'm 59. So I have, I haven't shared it with too many people, but, um, but Camino number two is on it for sure. And Camino number two is going to be, uh, um, I'd love it to be a redo of the Camino Frances, but I think before I do that, I'd like to experience the Norte or the Portuguese just because they're coastal and I'm such a water person. But there is a Camino, uh, Camino Frances number two in, in my life. Maybe it'll be on my 70 before 70 list. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my, uh, my reason for that is, is because I now understand why there was a woman in, um, in St. Jean. And when we went around the table, you know, the 
first albergue that you're in and the host is so lovely and he goes around the table and he says, and why, you know, everybody give you a reason for why you're doing the Camino. And there was a woman, only one woman in our entire group of about 20 people who said that it was her second Camino and everybody kind of turned and looked at her and said like, whoa, first of all, you have experience. And second of all, <laughs> why are you redoing the whole, the same Camino? Like, are you crazy? And she explained, it was very thoughtful. She said, my first Camino was all about the logistics, um, thinking about where I had to be and where I was going to stay and whether I had the right gear and could I do it and all of that. And the second Camino, she said she was going to do a couple of things. She was going to stay off stage. She wasn't going to stay in the, the, the bigger towns in the kind of recommended route way. And she was going to take more time than she took the first time around appreciating those little Camino moments because she didn't do it justice the first time around. And so for that reason, I think she's very wise and very right. And I think there's a lot of people who make a point of redoing whatever it is, the, whatever Camino, whether it's the Portuguese or the Norte or the Frances for that reason. And so, yeah, in, on my, probably my 7470 list, there'll be a Camino Frances number two. Fantastic. But I get a sense, Cindy, there's an energy to do as much living as you possibly can. Am I right? Yeah, because I think, I, I feel the weight of time. Mm. I've said that to so many people. I feel like there's almost an obligation on me to not just sit back and let life happen, but to be, uh, purposeful about it and I I have a kind of it's my personal mantra and it's live with purpose and without regret and I'm not a regret-filled person I don't think I'll end my life with a lot of regrets but just in case I want to make sure <laughs> that I'm doing all I can <laughs> all I can to accomplish what I'm capable of accomplishing and I think there might be I'm I'm still kind of letting it bounce around in my brain but I think there might be some sort of Camino purpose or calling for me certainly not I'm not going to move to Spain and open a Donativo or anything like that but um but something something because it it is in my in my soul now like it is for so many people yeah when you talk about expectations and you talk about regrets it's interesting because I find that there needs to be a kind of balance because you're like me right you're you you want to get the most out of life you want to do as much as possible because time Get, you do, do you feel that pressure of time, right? But then you start to say to yourself, well, maybe I'm being unrealistic. Maybe, you know, that is just unachievable. I, let's say, for instance, I say, before I die, I want to live in Paris for a year, you know. And 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 then, you know, uh, later in life, I say, you know, I never got around to living in Paris for a year. But right. that's kind of just putting really unnecessary expectations on yourself. So you need to be kind to yourself too, don't you? You do. You do for sure. And you need to give yourself the great, I call it the grace of, of space. <laughs> it rhymes, but yeah. the grace of space, the grace of space is, is like allowing yourself and, and, and um, allowing yourself the, the luxury of not knowing everything and not planning everything and letting some of the beauty of life just happen as opposed to trying to execute every minute. So I agree with you, there's a balance for sure, but I think the risk is that if you don't have some sort of plan, and even and maybe my 60 before 60 or 74 70 lists are aspirational, certainly they are, I don't expect to achieve everything that's on them, but I think it, it, it at least lets me move in a certain way with a certain purpose so that I don't get you know, 10 years from now, and I look back and I say, hmm, yeah, that's, it's tricky now for me to, let's say, you know, do the Camino. Uh, there's lots of people in their 70s, well into their 70s who do the Camino. Um, not so many in their 80s, for sure. But there is a certain time in life, a certain cadence to life that lends itself to you being able to do things. And in the younger years, you're busy with kids or family. Right now, for me, I have healthy parents. I have healthy children. They're off doing their thing. Um, I'm now retired. 
So I really feel like it's it's my moment to to go and and see and do. And so that's what I've done. And that's that's what fantastic. I hope to do again. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. And what the listeners can't experience is that I can see you, and we're talking via Zoom. And Cindy's got a big smile on her face, and you could tell that you you're in yeah. the right place at the right time. So let's go back onto the Camino. Um, I just wrote a note here in my script. Why are, why are you a top bunk girl? Yeah, good question. Okay, so here's the thing. I hope Tracy listens to the podcast, so I'm going to have to send it to her so that she gets the full experience of this. So on about day one, uh, I think it actually was day one, we were in Saint-Jean and we were in a fairly large albergue and there were four women in one room. And they all looked at me, Tracy and the other two women who spoke English. They looked at me and said, well, you're the youngest, so you have to go on the top bunk. There were two bunks, top, uh, no, I'm sorry. There were two two flat beds, single beds, and then one bunk. So there was only a top, one top bed. So they voted me top bed girl. Well, Tracy thought that was a fantastic idea. And so she kept it for days two through 40, let's say. And whenever there was a bunk, which there often was, I would automatically, as I call it, get relegated to the top bunk, <laughs> which was fine. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a blessing and a curse because anyone who is, has gone on the Camino, and for those of you who are listening that haven't, the top bunk person... Yes, they they are on the top bunk and it's a little more inconvenient for them to get up and down, especially if they have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. However, you also want the top bunk person to be a restful sleeper because otherwise the bottom bunk person yeah. is being wiggled to death all yeah. through the night. Yeah, so yeah. it's kind of a love-hate relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's so true. That's so true. <laughs> so what surprised you on the Camino? Hmm. Um, good question. A, a few things. One of the biggest surprises, I think, was understanding that the Camino itself is actually in many areas a walk through someone's yard. Mm. <laughs> they, you go past, literally, I'm, I could reach out and touch a cow yeah. in a barn with their head out, right? You're, you're actually experiencing Spanish life in its most basic form, you see people tending to their animals, tending to their gardens. Uh, you see school children. I walked past, oh, this was a lovely experience. I walked past a group of school children. They must have been in about grade three or four, I'm guessing. And they were obviously um, away from their school. They were on bicycles and they were in the middle of a bicycle safety training experience oh yeah and the Camino just ha happened to be walking past like the Camino route happened to be walking past them and I wasn't sh sure if they even knew who I was or what I was doing but that quickly became it quickly became obvious that they did because the teacher stopped talking and every single one of those children hanging onto their bicycles turned to me and wished me Buen Camino I had like 40 Buen Caminos in a row <laughs> wow how fantastic yeah yeah. So there were just many little moments like that where I, I was reminded that the Camino itself is used uh, by us, yes, by pilgrims, but also by by regular Spanish people getting to work, doing their regular lives. So it felt a privilege, honestly, to be experiencing that, to be walking past it and through it. And there was another story. I'll tell you this quickly. I was walking. Um, it was after Saria. And so Saria is a magic place for those uh, listening who don't know, but it's because of where it's situated. If you start in Saria and end in Santiago, you can receive your Compostela. So I think last year, 130,000 pilgrims started in Saria and ended in Santiago. That's a huge number. That's about a quarter of all the people who ended in Santiago started in, Sar in Saria. So there's a huge influx of people. And so uh, a day out from Saria, so we started, we continued on through Saria. And so we were now in the mix of all of these people. And I was walking through a small town and I realized I was walking past a man and two women and they were in a covered kind of shed garage looking thing. It was a super hot day. And they made eye contact with me and I made con eye contact with them and I continued on. I smiled and continued on. And then I realized what I found so weird about that is that they were, they were on folding chairs and they were 
folding, not talking to each other. There was only one purpose in how they were seating, seated, and they were seated so they could watch me and all the other pilgrims walk past. It was like a pilgrim show. They were just sitting there watching the pilgrims. This is about 10.30 in the morning. And so I stopped walking and I walked back and I speak a little Spanish, but not great. And I said, you know what, I'm going to just try this. And I explained to them uh, that I thought it was so lovely and and that they were watching. And, the, and I asked their names and the men said his name was Manuel. And I forget what the women were. They were in their late 70s, maybe even early 80s, wow. these, these three. Yeah. And they were watching the show. And I, I told them that I, I called it the Pilgrim Show. And he laughed and he said to me in, in Spanish, he said, if I had one euro for every pilgrim that walked past me, I would be a millionaire. And he started <laughs> laughing. And and the two women started laughing. And I asked them if they could I could take their photo. And he was all about it. He thought that was the best idea going. And he kind of sat up straight in his chair with his, he had a walking stick that was kind of just, he wasn't using it. And the two, but the two women, I, he translated for them. And the two women, I could tell they were very flustered because they were wearing, you know, not the appropriate thing and their hair wasn't perfect. And anyways, they kind of composed themselves. And I have this lovely picture, which is one of the photos that I'm going to get developed for, for my wall here. Um, it's the three of them looking at me, him seated, the two of them on either side. And they are just so happy that I've taken an interest in them taking an interest in me, which was yeah. the irony of the whole thing. Wow. And so I showed them the photo afterwards and I explained how appreciative I was. And um, and we continued on. But I think those little moments with locals as well, I wasn't expecting. I wasn't expecting to have that level of interaction. And it happened regularly. But local you know, people going about their day would make time to have a little chat with us, even if they couldn't speak the language and even if we couldn't speak the language. Yeah. It's lovely. It is lovely. And even the Spanish on the Camino are very kind as well and welcoming as mm -hmm. well. They know how significant it is for their communities and their nation. And so they're all often very kind as well. But Cindy, did anything not live up to expectations? My shoes. Oh, no. What? <laughs> well, here's the problem. It's a good lesson for those listening. So I trained before the Camino and I walked here, but my husband had also taken a contract in Newfoundland. And in Newfoundland, in Canada, they call it the rock. They call it the rock because it's made of rock. The whole province. It's an island and it's an entire province, very rocky. So I had trained there for June as well. And so the shoes that I wore in Newfoundland in June were the ones that I started off with on the Camino. They lasted exactly five days. No. So I had, yes, what? I had done, I had done, yes, I had thought I'd done a really good job of breaking them in. But in hindsight, I'd done too good of a job. So I actually had to buy new shoes in Pamplona, which is day five of 38, right? Or in my case, 41 or so. So that was a little tricky. Um, I did end up finding shoes that I liked. I could not find the exact same shoes that I had in Canada, had bought in Canada, but I did buy another pair and they were great. Um, but that was very lucky. And so <laughs> I think the the thing that, yeah, the thing that I learned from that for Camino number two is to, um, to, to break in your shoes, but not wear them out before you start. <laughs> but, but, what was it like putting on brand new shoes in Pamplona? You must have been terrified. Yes, I was. I was. I kept the other ones. Um, so you would laugh if I showed you a picture, but I had brought duct tape. So I duct taped my my old shoes for one day and wore them uh, and mixed them up with my new shoes. So my, my new shoes got exactly, you know, half a day of breaking in, really. And um, just kind of paid a little more attention to foot care for the next few days, but they were, they were good. And, you know, you don't want to carry anything extra. And so those, those, those bad shoes, they had a short life, you know, once the new shoes were available, <laughs> the bad shoes were gone. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've never really heard anybody have that kind of trouble and have to buy new shoes mm -hmm. after just a few days. That would be really difficult. We talked about the 60 mm -hmm. before 60 list. So that must mean you're a 66 model. Are you? I am. Yeah, you and I are the same birth year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. There you go. You're a 66 model as well. Fantastic. What a vintage. Yeah. What a vintage. So what's <laughs> next on the 60 before 60 list? 
Well, currently, um, Iceland is being explored. Wow. Uh, in a in a paper way, uh, yeah. So Iceland may be maybe a May thing when you're back doing your new uh, your new gig, which I'm so disappointed I'm not going to be able to go to. I just don't think I'm going to get clearance to do Camino Frances 2.0 with you, Dan, because that would be fun. Yeah, um, it's but I will be. I will be, yeah, I will be an island. I need, you need to, if you could possibly give me a little more lead time for the next Dan Mullins trek across Spain, I'll be there with bells on. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll try to think about it. It's, it, we're getting lots of responses and it's really going very, very well. But I'll just tell you a little secret. Uh, I stayed in a little tiny albergue um, between Leon and Astoria. And the, the host, Olga, was just such a beautiful woman. And this little old place, it must be three or four hundred years old. And the courtyard is, when you step into the courtyard, it's like you go, you're go you stepping onto the set of a film. It's extraordinary. It's just so exquisite. And I thought, you know what we ought to do? We ought to have like a morning tea there or like a lunchtime gig. So I contacted Olga and I said, look, would you be up for putting up lunch for 30 or 40, 50 people or whatever, you know? And I'll do a, sh- I'll do a concert in your courtyard. She said, of course. I'd love to do that for you, Dan. So it's we're going to be playing in this 300-year-old house. And we'll just have lunch. She can just put some tortilla and some bocadillos or whatever on the table and everyone can chip in a few dollars and, or euros or whatever and have a break in the walk and then we'll pack up and walk on again. There's just a little lunchtime show in this 300-year-old place. It's just going to be so magic and we've got all these wonderful places picked out. It's going to be just... Great. I can't wait, actually. And walking again, wow. I started the podcast by saying, you know, I'm back, I'm out walking again and walking with purpose and got goals and stuff. So what about 60 before 60? Is there a Camino on the cards other than Iceland? No, I, th- I think there has to be because I don't think I can. So I'll, I'll be turning 58 this month and I don't think I can wait three more years to do to do a Camino. So mm. I think of some sort, yes. The Camino um, Norte uh, holds a certain appeal for me. But honestly, when you start, um, when, you're the, when, when your first Camino door opens, it's like a floodgate because there's just so many things that you realize in terms of other Camino opportunities. Things, hikes that aren't even called Caminos. You know, there's a wonderful hike in Japan that that is lovely. And now the Camille is all chit-chatting about what and when we should reunite and how, and there's information being shared in that way. And so I I highly doubt that I'm going to be 60-something or 60 even before my next Camino. I hope I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can't wait to get back there. I know that you can't wait to get back there. And everybody listening is either planning another Camino or just come back from a Camino or maybe planning their first Camino. And one of the things I I get messages about all the time is the Camino story at the end of the podcast. And I thought, oh, you know, I'll I'll speak to Cindy. And and I think we met purely by chance in Ottawa. I'd done the Sunday afternoon show, I think it was. Uh, in the little church hall in in downtown Ottawa, and uh, later that night, my son and I went with Paul Hughes and another friend to a French restaurant on the French side of the border uh, in the big park there, Uh, and it was just magic. There's all these people speaking French, and I was absolutely blown away, first of all, by the Canadian kindness, and and secondly, by the spirit of all of the people, both the French-speaking and the English-speaking people. And I came back with so many stories, and I can't wait to hear yours. So it's your turn. Tell us a Camino story. Um, well, uh, there's many, as you, as you might imagine, but I'll tell you one that was very impactful for me, and I wasn't expecting it. It was a very unlikely situation. I'd been walking... For a while, so Cruz de Ferro is is a well-known place uh, on the Camino. Everyone talks about it. People usually plan their Camino to bring on their Camino to bring a stone or something that they're going to leave at the Cruz de Ferro. It's a symbol uh, for many of um, 
something, they, they bring that item, usually often it's a rock to the pile that's there and is huge now and growing every day. And they symbolically leave it as well as something that's been causing them pain uh, there and they continue on with their Camino. And so that particular day I wasn't with Tracy and I wasn't with the rest of the Camille. I was walking by myself and I walked up to a man named Bruce who I'd, I'd met before, but very briefly. And we chatted for a bit and we were approaching uh, Cruz de Ferro. And this was maybe an hour into the day because the Cruz de Ferro location, if you if you kind of do the regular route, it's not late in the day, it's early in the day. And so we, we were there relatively early. And because we were a twosome and he was traveling solo, he asked if I would take some pictures of him when he was leaving his stone, which I said, no problem. And it was kind of one of those misty, foggy mornings. You're up high at the Cruz de Ferro. You've just left Ravenel. You're up really high. And so uh, I did that. And then we continued on. And for the next five hours, Bruce shared a story with me about his life. Um, it took the entire five hours. <laughs> and it, it was a story that he'd only shared, I think he told me at the end, with one other person. And I felt so privileged yeah. to have, yeah, to, to have had that moment with him, to have captured the moment for him. It was, I knew it was very impactful when he had left his stone. Um, I could tell that about, uh, in terms of how he behaved, but it's just that whole moment for me was kind of the, a combination of a whole bunch of things coming together all at the same time. And I'll, uh, you know, he and I have kept in touch, not a lot, a little bit. Um, but I feel so close to him and it's that closeness. I think that I, that I think many people feel to certain moments or to certain people or to certain, even certain things on the Camino that they take back and they bring into their life. And it's interesting how all of those things kind of mix around in a person and change you. And I think that experience for me, it was only one day. It was only really five hours and he and I, didn't really even spend any time after that because we were on a different uh, schedule, if I can call it that. We didn't end up in Santiago at the same time, uh, but it it really changed. It really changed me. So I think it's a lovely story about the Camino, but it's also a lovely story about kind of the influence of just a moment. Wow, the influence of just a moment. That's fantastic. I yeah. love that. Wow. And the Camino is just a collection of all those moments so often, isn't it? It really is. I mean, you asked me for, for a moment, but there was there were so many. There were, you know, the, the girl, the 12-year-old girl in the albergue who got up early to draw a caricature of every single pilgrim that had stayed there the night before and then gave it to us that morning. No. Like, who does that? Really? Who does that? When you're 12, yeah. Who does that, first of all? But who does that when you're 12? <laughs> That's great. I mean, there's so many, so many little moments like that. There's There were two women from Denmark who I kept in touch with here and there on the Camino. And I remember bumping into them in Saria. And we, were, we all had a down day, uh, they as well. And they were older women um, in their, I'm going to say mid-60s, early to mid-60s. Um, um, maybe they were working on their 70 before 70 list. I don't know. Anyways, they they both had gotten scallop, uh, scallop tattoos on their forearms. First tattoos. And that's very common. You know, a, a yeah, lot of yeah, women, yeah. a lot of a lot of uh, pilgrims get tattoos. But these ladies, they literally came running up to me. I thought they were going to, you know, bowl me down because they wanted to show me their their uh, scallop tattoos. They were just, uh, just lovely. Really lovely. Yeah. And oh, the masses, the churches, the cathedrals, the bumfiero, which I think I'm saying incorrectly, but that's the big swinging incense thing in the cathedral in Santiago. We were lucky enough to be there when that was happening. There was just, you know, they all run together in your mind. But once I, when I go through my photos, I'm like, oh, yeah, and that happened and that happened. You know, incredible. yeah, yeah, yeah. It is incredible. I, You know, you sent me an email. You said, we, we don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. Right. And I, I love that. And and you wrote to me say that the Camino provided time to think and reflect on the past life that you lived as well as the future life and, and how you want to live. Time to dream, time to appreciate, time to grow, and time to let go. How then, as a last question, Cindy, how then does this Camino resonate with 
those around you, those you love? Um, I wrote, uh, so Tracy and I maintained a, a blog of sorts through, through WhatsApp and we would uh, write and post pictures every day um, to our, our adoring fans, we called them. There was only about a hundred of them. <laughs> not nearly the following that you have, Dan. Not no, 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 don't following. worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but what I I look back on my on my notes and I said to myself, well, I said to the group, but it was more to myself, I'm returning home with a stronger body, mind, and spirit. Yeah. And that's really how I felt at the end of the Camino. And I think. I don't know that anybody, you know, knowing me, going kind of pre-Camino Cindy and post-Camino Cindy would say, whoa, she's really changed. She's like a totally different person. No, they're not going to say that. But I think I I am a better listener. I like to think I'm a better listener. I like to think I'm a little more tolerant, a little more um, resilient. Certainly, I would not be afraid, and I don't think Tracy would be afraid to to do another Camino. So there's a sense of confidence um, just f- from the accomplishment. But I, I like to think I'm kind of, I'm a bit, maybe I would say it this way. I'm a kinder, gentler, m- even more appreciative than I was. And I think I was pretty appreciative to start with, person. Yeah, you know, well, that's really great insight. You know, I, you've got a couple of quotes here. You say, Day eight, our packs no longer hurt and our bodies are mostly resigned to the fact that we're going to make them do this for a while yet. I love that. And riding opposite the monastery in Carrion de las Condas, feel the spirit of those who were here before you, appreciate those who walk with you today, and imagine those who will follow in your footsteps. I love that. I really love that. Imagine those who will follow in your footsteps because I tend to think that that might just keep us that little bit more humble than perhaps we feel we are. There's something that happens to, to all of the pilgrims who've come to Saria, in Saria, when you continue through Saria and you realize that there's this huge migration of people that you're going to spend the next five days with. And it takes a minute for you to kind of adjust to the fact that those people are doing their Camino and their Camino may only be five days but maybe that's all they have. Maybe that's all they can do from a physical perspective or a work perspective or whatever. So I think the Camino um, also teaches a really important lesson in tolerance. It's not patience really so much as tolerance because everyone who comes on the Camino, comes on and to the Camino has a purpose. Um, and and for some people it's very obvious, you know, their, their parent has passed or whatever, uh, they've suffered a loss, or they just, they're transitioning from A to B, or they're in the midst of a divorce. There's lots of, there's lots of reasons. But the common theme that I think all pilgrims share is that, um, is that respect and willingness to be together doing something with other people that you have no, you, you have no history with. And, Quite frankly, for a lot of them, you don't know their occupation, uh, their age, their last name, how many children they have. You know nothing about them. So I think of it, I, I call it like an etch-a-sketch moment. You know those etch-a-sketches yeah, that yeah. you just shake yeah. and then it's like nothing? Yeah. That's how everybody starts the Camino. They're like an etch-a-sketch pilgrim. They have their, they. it's completely blank. It's so unusual to meet someone so many someones and not know anything about them and feel so connected for that period of time in your life. It's it's very unusual. It is. And we've connected for this last hour. We connected in Ottawa at that concert that I did in the little church hall. Uh, we've connected since and we've connected again now. You were very kind when I lost my voice to reach out to me and say, hey, Dan, I'm thinking of you. It really meant a lot to me, Cindy. And it's, it's meant a lot to me to have the last hour chatting with you here, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And those last three fo- thoughts again, feel the spirit of those who were here before you, appreciate those who walk with you today, and imagine those who will follow in your footsteps. I hope to one day follow in your footsteps, so we'll maybe get a chance to walk together, which would be just absolutely lovely. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. I love your enthusiasm for life, and I love that you have shared that enthusiasm with others, as I said earlier, it shines out of you. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. Thank you, Dan.
My guest this week was the Canadian pilgrim Cindy McGann. Henry David Thoreau was an American naturalist, essayist, poet and philosopher. One of his famous quotes is, An early morning walk is a blessing for the whole day. Then there's John Muir, who's often referred to as the patron saint of the American wilderness. He said, In every walk with nature, one receives far more than he seeks. I hope you find what you're looking for somewhere along the way. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Gamino. Somewhere.